What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm super excited today to welcome my guest, Nathan Kohlerman. Hey, Nathan. Hey, how are you? Uh, based on our pre-conversation, uh, you know, pre-conversation to press record, we're going to have an amazing conversation. Nathan is the founder of New Intention Health and Wellness. He's a holistic health and wellness coach, transformational guide, and spiritual counselor. He has coached, facilitated, and trained professional athletes from the NFL and PGA, soldiers in the U.S. Army, men's groups, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, motivational speakers, and other elite coaches on how to overcome mental, emotional, and physical blocks, incorporating methods and modalities such as animal flow, breath work, gateway heart healing, in-depth channeling, neuro-linguistics programming, and quantum healing to help others heal the roots of their wounds and transmute their pain into purpose. Nathan, I am so excited about this conversation. Oh, as am I. <laughs> okay, so I mean, all of the stuff that I read is like, oh yeah, yes, check, 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 check. I mean, when I saw you in the room on Clubhouse or, or heard you or whatever, I was like, yeah, I, I got to talk to this guy. You, I mean, I just resonate with so much of what you do and who you are and how you show up. So, um, but I, my little icebreaker question that I want to ask you is I don't even know the name of that sound healing instrument, but mm-hmm. it's awesome. How did you learn to play it and why? Yeah, the handpan uh-huh. has been incredibly healing just for my own journey. Um, and I self-taught myself how to play it mm-hmm. when I actually had COVID in June when I was locked in a room for 10 days uh-huh. and you know, I started off with a, a percussion background back in like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Uh-huh. And that's kind of where the instrument had, you know, kind of resonated with me. But after going through a very severe hand injury in March of 2017, I had to relearn how to use my hands. So oh, wow. being able to play the drum has, you know, helped me with my coordination and everything else. And, um, not only that, it's been an incredibly powerful just for a connection between me and my daughter because I play her the drum every night now. And Aww. it's a way that we've been able to bond too. So it's um, really cool. It's, it's healing in, in both a sound and an emotional and energetic level. It's just something that always brings me a lot of peace and tranquility when I need to come back home to like my center. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you change the sounds? Um, and, and which, which sounds resonate with which like feelings. So it has built in keys, right? Mm-hmm. So there's one in the middle and then it's surrounded by other notes, right? So just based on that, I just intuitively allow my hands to kind of guide whatever the sound is, right? Mm-hmm. And based on the rhythm, you're able to, you know, slap it, you can knock it, you can do all different things, you can flick it and then it'll graze the the right way so if you hit it a certain way there's certain ways to like increase the accents it's um it's really interesting it's a it's a creative instrument right (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you um this is this is part of my own personal belief is that i feel like a lot of people um struggle with their issues because they're not being creative because they're blocking that part of their expression yeah, I think I think I think it's often neglected how powerful creation can be, creativity can be, you know, creativity residing in the solar plexus chakra, right? That's mm-hmm. the expression, that's the movement, that's how we move the emotions and and the pains that are that are stored in our sacral, right? And in order for that energy to move up, it requires a, a level of creation. It requires a level of transmutation. 
And, you know, things like that, things such as body movement, which I'm also an advocate, a fanatic for, as you know. Right. And finding different ways to express ourselves creatively, whether that's through art, whether it's through music, whether it's through movement or any other modality that anybody wants to tap into. I think it's it's just overlooked and overlooked and neglected. But more importantly, I think it's more forgotten than anything else. And this kind of rolls into the conversation we were having earlier where, you know, we're, we're, we've been placed into a society in which we're told what to do rather than just being able to creatively expand ourselves, right. Mm -hmm. To explore like children. Mm -hmm. How, how have you noticed that with your daughter? <laughs> it's, it's created a fundamental shift. Uh, you know, she was, a little bit younger when I was a little bit more of a, a rigid man, you know, bodybuilder, power lifter, not really in tune with my emotions. And I've seen the evolution as I've been able to unlock more of my creativity and, and, you know, my way of expression, even with her, my authentic expression with how things, how things make me feel. Um, even when she may do something and I'll let her know like, Hey, that, that hurt daddy's feelings. Right. It's allowed me to have these conversations with her and then, being reflected back, you know, before bed, she'll, you know, talk to me about things she's struggling with, things that are bothering her, things that she's scared of. And it's mm -hmm. been able to bridge the connection of expression between us mm -hmm. really is the most fundamental thing and, and more profound thing I should say. And what I've been able to see with her. Do you see yourself as her age when you look at her? Hmm. I've seen layers of myself within her um, more, more specifically the, the things in which I've struggled with, you know, the mirror and how interesting it is really after kind of reading it, how it didn't start with you and seeing how like the ancestral and lineage has kind of been passed down, but things in which I struggled with have actually been passed down to her. And it presents an opportunity for me to be a catalyst for her healing, right. Mm -hmm. To start breaking, you know, the, those, those loops, right. To make sure they're not, um, repeated in any way, mm -hmm. you know, because you have gone through a lot of your own struggles. So, I mean, I, I, I saw that you started martial arts at a young age and that when you came to your teenage years, you started smoking and then you became an addict. So can you think back on the, the emotional struggles that you were experiencing during that time period? Mm -hmm. When I was her age, I, I attempted suicide. I actually That's swallowed your... a bottle of pills at her age. Yeah. Wow. At about seven, eight years old. She just turned eight last Friday. And was, um, this, was this like a conscious thing? Oh, let me see what I can do or what was going through your thoughts? Do you have any recollection? I didn't quite necessarily know what it would do. I knew at a deep subconscious level, I was in a lot of pain. <clears throat> And growing up in a home with a mother who was a nurse practitioner, uh -huh. um, who when I said I had a headache or when I had a, a bruise or a scrape or whatever, right, acetaminophen or ibuprofen was the solution. Uh -huh. And I knew in my head cognitively at that age, it was a very subconscious thing that, oh, if I take this pill, my pain goes away. Mm -hmm. So if I'm getting bullied and picked on and I'm in a lot of pain, and I'm also suffering in, in a chaotic and abusive household. Um, you know, what, what would it do then? Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't this attempt, like I want to end my life. It was, I want to feel better. Not, not, yeah. Right. Not feel pain. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't have the outlet for expression. I didn't mm -hmm. have the, the safe space. I, you know, had a psychotherapist coming into the house at seven or eight years old for, for family counseling and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I never felt safe with a random person coming in and trying to talk to me about all my problems. You know, that just didn't work for me. It didn't feel right. Well, at seven, you don't, you're not even developmentally, um, capable of having those conversations. Right. Yeah. So yeah, to, to answer your question, I've, I've seen it reflected, right. But I've seen the opportunities for me as a father, how I can help my daughter through 
her being bullied or picked on and again, giving her that safe space that, that I didn't have. I didn't feel that I had, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the piece of advice that I got in school was, well, if a bully puts their hands on you, then break their arm, you know, who did and, you, who did you get that advice from? Oh, my dad, mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody puts your hand, a hand on you, you break it. Right. Mm-hmm. That was, that was pretty much how I was raised and mm-hmm. which conflicted with martial arts. Right. Cause then it's, you know, don't fight outside of the dojo, but mm-hmm. only fight if, if to defend yourself. So the two came hand in hand eventually. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been a beautiful opportunity to provide a, an alternative route, a more in what I would say a more quote unquote healthy approach to, mm-hmm. to how I can bring my child into this world a little bit more gentle than I was. Mm-hmm. So how did you, um, what led you to your addiction and then what was your turning point? Mm-hmm. So my parents split about 14 years old uh-huh. and that's when I became a loose cannon. Uh, by that time I was still in martial arts. I was also playing football. I was wrestling mm-hmm. and you know, I was always the smallest kid growing up, but you know, once I got to high school, it, it became a much different story. Once I started training and mm-hmm. lifting and using a lot of my pinned up aggression for my advantage. Mm-hmm. And it was until, you know, I got kicked out of schools for fighting. I got kicked off the sports teams and all this other stuff. Um, went to four different high schools uh, wow. to give you some context. And it was the third high school that I went to, or maybe no, the second one, when I got introduced into a a crowd of people, right. And this is when I was, you know, I was already smoking weed at that time and drinking, but once I was in 15, then it, then it started getting a little bit more escalated. Um, you know, I was in a not so wealthy part of town, I'll call it as I was before. And, you know, I just started getting mixed in with the wrong people. I started partying. I started, you know, taking a lot of ecstasy, which I mean, isn't a bad thing to me now, if it's in a pure, more MDMA format for therapeutic reasons or, you know, recreational with intent, of course, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I was doing cocaine. I was fighting for fun backyard brawls. And eventually somebody saw the potential in me and they, um, extended an invitation to, to join their, you know, what quote unquote crew. Right. So they jumped me in. And by that time I was, you know, then used as an enforcer for a multiple, multiple different reasons, which then led to the attraction of other people. Right. Uh And that's when I kind of stumbled upon this house one night and I was presented an opportunity. Hey, you want to smoke some BT? I didn't even know what it was, but the minute that I smoked the black tar, I was, I was, I was in. Right. You know, and coming back to that story when I was seven years old, when all I wanted to do or all I wanted was to be out of pain. Right. When the heroin hit and I was out of pain, I immediately fell in love with it. Mm. And that became my life, you know, for, for quite some time. I was selling it. I was doing it. I was administering it X, Y, and Z, you know, and I think that's, that's where it wound up, right? Until that moment where. It was a few days. It was during Christmas break of 2009 where, you know, my mom and my sister sat me down and told me that if I didn't stop what I was doing, I'd wind up in debt or, or in prison. Mm-hmm. And thank God to my sister, who's my saving grace, because I was the one who asked her for help. And I was like, hey, I need to know more methadone. I need methadone or something. I'm, <clears throat> I'm a heroin addict and I need help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she told my mom and the the next week when I went back to school, there were army recruiters on the front door doorstep. And, uh, from there, my, my, my sobriety journey began. Wow. Thank God for intervention. Yeah. Thank God that you had your sister and your mom have your back. Right. Yeah. That they loved you enough to wake you up or help you wake up. Absolutely. Are you, are you still very close with them today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Very close. Very, very close. Mm-hmm. They still take wonderful care of me mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> from afar, but you know. Yeah. But still, 
Like, you know, they always have your back. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, so then what you joined them, you, you joined the army mm-hmm. and you were in for five years, was it? Yeah, I was in for five and a half years. Uh-huh. Um, made the rank of sergeant and, you know, I wanted to further my career, but it got cut short by, uh, coming up with, uh, or coming down, I should say with bilateral exertional compartment syndrome in both my legs, which I know. what does that mean? Yeah, I know that's kind of <laughs> what I was waiting for, but essentially it's, um, it's where the toxins get trapped in the tissue and the fascia doesn't expand. It becomes very tight, becomes very tense air builds up uh-huh. the compartments in the legs and it's excruciatingly painful. And then it started to go numb. So I didn't really have full function. I couldn't really run long distances anymore. I basically uh-huh. overtrained, you know, uh-huh. kind of going, and that was during bodybuilding and powerlifting and, you uh-huh. know, training to want to go to special forces and all these things I wanted to do. And I just pushed myself too far. Uh-huh. So I came down with that and, you know, I started getting, being seen for everything else and they evaluated me and, you know, I had about 31 different diagnoses and conditions and symptoms of things they wanted to, you know, diagnose me with, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere from compartment syndrome to sleep apnea to ex- generalized anxiety disorder to intermittent explosive disorder and all these other things. Um, You're like, how then, many labels does a guy need? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, that that led to me being medically discharged at, you know, 100%. You know, mm-hmm. so that that had a toll of its own. So I got out in March of 2016. Uh huh. And so how how did you transition to this intuitive healer, um, quantum, you know, realm spiritual guy? Because all of the stuff that you went through was, you know, numb out, disconnect, um, ignore, don't pay attention to. What was, what was that sort of process for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I pursued fitness when I got in the military, you know, still very in the, in the egocentric bodybuilding, powerlifting lifestyle. And Uh that continued for, for about a year, you know, I had competed in several shows, did very well, got a professional, got a pro card and you know, March of 2017 came along. I leaned on a granite counter, snapped off, tore my hand open, ripped it open, tore four ouch. tendons over my radial artery, median nerve. Yeah, it was great. Ouch. Luckily, it was an ouch because I couldn't feel it because oh. it severed the nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that blessing, but went to the hospital, had three hand surgeries over two days, um, about a quarter million dollars in, in medical bills later. I have a, You're I have like nice the bionic man. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And it became a blessing. You know, now these, you know, two fingers that I can't really, I don't have sensation with are actually energetic, energetic, energy sensitive. Uh So anytime it's, you know, I'll feel for energy, it actually starts amplifying the the tingling sensations, which is cool. Uh But so kind of like a Dr. Strange type type of thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Moving, moving on from that, you know, in that moment, you know, I was like 253 pounds, just rock solid, huge mm-hmm. exterior shell. And it was mm-hmm. in May, shortly after I was brushing my teeth with my left hand and I had to relearn everything with my left hand because I was right hand dominant. And uh-huh. I was brushing my teeth and I just dropped it. You know, I couldn't hold it. I couldn't coordinate it and I just collapsed. And that was the last time I, I seriously thought about killing myself. And someone had reached out to me and told me about this transformational training program, this experiential training program that I should attend. And that's when my journey really started for personal development. And Mm -hmm. over the years, you know, just to simplify it, I've been, I've been gifted um, with enough people in my life who cared enough to extend the invitations for me because Mm -hmm. they could see the pain I was in Mm -hmm. and they could see the patterns that I was running and the, and the narratives that I was, I was creating around my life. And after several, several, several modalities, after countless teachings, after countless healings at this point, I've just been able to acquire the tools necessary that, that have most benefited my, myself mm-hmm. and to be able to now share it, you know, and, and to gain a further understanding and always knowing that, you know, this journey is never over. It's never complete. And 
it's it's just the willingness this this insatiable hunger to learn that i've always had you know everything that i've ever made from running my own business has gone immediately back into training has immediately gone back into more healing for myself has immediately gone back into the business and and how i can increase my capacity to serve you know and that's really what has always brought me brought me back home is is being rooted in purpose and in service and that my, the healing that i can provide provides the healing through myself as well and it's been a beautiful journey really and now stepping in into more of the metaphysical realm into the mediumship realm and into the transpersonal psychology realm it's mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see things done from a non-clinical aspect you know and and to be a guide not to be a a coach not to be a you know a, a quote-unquote you know, healer, but to be a guide to help others become their own coaches, to help others become their own healers, to help them find their tools and resources that they desire to help them out of pain, to help them transition from, from pain to purpose, to help them take their, their trauma and transform it into something beautiful, into something that can be purposeful and used as a gift for the good, for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> that's the thing. I mean, I think that's why you started your clubhouse room, right? Turn your pain mm -hmm. into purpose because it, nobody else heals us, right? I mean, people just facilitate and, and witness and, and like you said, guide and support. So how, how did, I mean, why did, why did you start that room? First of all, <laughs> Yeah, that's an amazing question. And I started that room because, you know, throughout the entire process, you know, I was, I was always pursuing it in a very masculine way mm -hmm. and looking at Cause you're a big body building kind of dude. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and the, the, the primary pursuit, I should say of the masculine is assertiveness. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was asserting myself into these containers, into these spaces to heal myself. I was asserting myself in a very rigid way to receive healing, you know, and I, I pursued it and it almost became like a to-do list. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, several years of doing this that I realized like I have so many tools, but I feel like I didn't actually receive the healing. I feel as though I just did the healing, right? That's so, feminine. Right. And that's where I wanted to create the room, right? Is because, you know, with Clubhouse, especially too, the really cool thing is that people can raise their hand at will. There's there's a level of consent there. There's a uh -huh. willingness to participate and a level of trust to for me to facilitate. And the aligned feminine is suggestedness. Right. So I wanted to suggest to people that I wanted to create a space for them to share, right? Not to dump all their stuff and not for them to recreate their not wounds for or trauma deepen their bonding. Wounds. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But a place for them to simply share, right? The lesson they learned and how they're using it. Right. So it's 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 shifting away from this trauma bonding, which I've always done in relationships, which I'm sure we'll get to. But it, it's creating that safe and intentional space. And yeah, it was very heavy at first, but like we were talking about before the, the, mm -hmm. the podcast here, you know, it, it started to transition more into a discussion. It started transitioning more into an integration of what we're doing next. What are the next steps? How are you here, right? How can we open our lens of awareness to this, to be able to share it openly without having that visceral sensation that comes up every time we think about it, mm -hmm. right? Because I do believe the more we speak about it and share it, the easier it becomes, right? right. Because we form it, an understanding. It loses, it loses its energetic pull. Right. When because you we don't, we're not, it. yeah, and we're not holding it in, right? And yeah, we may be speaking it out, but we're not speaking it out in, in a way that we are seeking some type of healing. It's simply just sharing for the sake of sharing right mm -hmm. to be vulnerable to so start learning these things right so there's a there's a there's a wide variety of of benefits to the room itself but really always coming back to that place that you know if, if it's one thing that i wanted through my journey like just pursuing things in the ways that i did 
you know, and not saying that this didn't happen. I just didn't recognize it. Right. So it was very unconsciously there in the background, but I wanted to consciously bring it forward that, you know, sometimes all it takes is a, is a safe space to share. Sometimes all it takes is for someone to be heard. Sometimes all it takes is for someone to be seen and witnessed and honored with what they're going through without it being layered in toxic positivity and all this other bullshit mm-hmm. that, you know, people can be seen and accepted for who they are. You know, and that carries instrumental amounts of healing on its own. And I make it very clear. I'm not practicing any type of psychotherapy in those rooms. I'm not there to assess or treat or diagnose or fix right. because let's face it, we're not broken. We're just wounded. Right. And, you know, through addiction, you know, our addictions and our patterns and our, our habits that we form to create a to create an avoidance of our feelings occurs through disconnection. So if I can open up a room where people are in pain to bring a level of connection to inhibit or mitigate their chances of falling into an addiction, that's being an, that's an act of service, right? Mm-hmm. So it's preventing people from going to all the other places, to all the darker places that I've gone to in effort to prevent, I should say, I can't prevent anybody from doing something but right. to mitigate the chances, right? It's right. risk reduction, right? Right. And, and to just be of service, you know, cause it's, it's COVID there's people, you know, stores aren't really open. Places are really, really, wary of people coming in and volunteering, right? I'm not the most financially well-off person, so I don't have all the money to donate in the world. So how else can I serve? Mm-hmm. How can I serve? How can I pour into you? And how can I give back mm-hmm. to, to the people who may not be as fortunate enough to pay for my services, right? And how can I do this in a way that brings, brings together community and connectedness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how were you not able to do that in your marriage hmm yeah so i got married at 19 <laughs> and Youngster. i was divorced at 22 yeah uh-huh. i was in the military um i had no idea what a conscious partnership was at that point uh-huh. and you know me and me and my ex-wife we both came from severely traumatic backgrounds and it wasn't until later on that we actually start under to understand each other in that way. Mm-hmm. And it never really occurred to me until more recently. And I'm like, Oh, this is what happened. And, you know, essentially it was just us leaning on each other for our own codependent reasons, mm-hmm. right? She needed to feel safe and supported. And she needed, you know, this guy who, who, you know, could defend her if the, if need be. And, and, you know, I played off the codependency and there was sex, there was connectedness, there was affection, there was all these things in which I needed as a child, right? She needed mm-hmm. safety and protection. I needed affection and validation. Mm-hmm. And it started showing up again and again and again and again and again, and then created the, the bond, of course. And then through those encounters, whenever one wouldn't reciprocate what the other needed, then it turned into toxic behaviors. It turned into violent behaviors, whether it be verbally or emotionally sometimes even physically, you know, not to the extent of anybody going to jail, but, you know, still to the point where it wasn't how a relationship should be, you know, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective now, it's not something that I would want now in my life at all, Mm -hmm. at all. Um, so yeah. And, and over time, you know, because I've always had a struggle, right. With without being in a relationship until more recently. And I started really kind of extrapolating this process and going through the timeline of things. And after her, it was my son's mom. And, you know, after her, it was this girl and then this girl and then this girl. Um, you know, I've had mostly long term relationships, you know, anywhere from a, a few years, I should say, long term. But then it started after my son's mom becoming like two months, three months, six months, three months, two months, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing as my codependent powder started showing that started getting worse over time. And it was in my last long-term relationship when I really spun out of control. Right. And how her patterns how? that into mind. Right. How? So, you know, I'll kind of break it down with, with the attachments. Right. So I was very anxiously attached right? For, for those who are listening, of course, that's where we are seeking and desiring affection, attention. And if we don't get that in the protest behaviors, it's like a child at a grocery store who doesn't get their lollipop and throws a tantrum and slams their feet on the floor and cries and all this other stuff. That was me. 
um, and the partner who I had at the time, she was, she was very avoidant and dismissive. Avoidant. She wanted space, right? right? She wanted very, she wanted space. She didn't want a conflict. She, she couldn't handle conflict. It was too much. So that way, when there was conflict, it was just, you know, two, two big horn sheep on the mountain, just bashing into each other every single time. And, you know, I started, you know, displaying a lot of my insecurities. I, even though I wasn't, um, participating in, in any infidelous behavior, you know, I was always expecting that she was cheating on me because my last relationship before that she cheated on me. So I was projecting all of those past circumstances forward into the fears in which I thought she was going to do to me mm-hmm. and protest after protest, after behavior, after behavior, after conflict, after conflict, it just, it just kept on repeating itself. It was like a never ending loop. It'd be good for a week or two. And then there'd be a fight. It'd be a good for a week or two. And then there'd be a fight again and again and again and again and again. And it always came back to sex being the savior of the relationship or paying for this very or, or the distraction, trip. just the distraction. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The, the non-conscious <laughs> approach to a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just layer it with all these superficial things and these nice shiny objects to distract mm-hmm. us for a little bit until we get to the root of our wound again. Right. And it displayed and displayed and displayed until eventually she left me. And that was painful, really, really painful. Um, I've described to people before that in that moment, it was 10 times worse than heroin withdrawals Wow! because I didn't have heroin to numb me and I had to feel all of it. Yeah. And I cried for days. I literally obsessed and thought and spun it, spun out in circles again and again and again and again and again. And it came to a point where, you know, literally one of my clients, as I was training them said like, dude, you need to go seek therapy. Cause you literally can't even work. You, you can't even do your job. Like you are so wrapped up in this. You were constantly looking around the room for her. Like it was bad. Um, like a lost child at a fair who just lost their mom type of thing. Um, which sparked a lot of abandonment wounds, a lot of abandonment wounds that I didn't know I had a lot of rejection wounds that I didn't know I had. Like from your dad, just from anything. Right. Whether it was just my mom leaving for work. And that's when I knew like, oh shit, I'm going to get my ass beat. You know, something like that. Like when a woman left, I wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. If, if there wasn't a woman present, I want to be safe. And as I'm talking to you about this right now, I'm putting the pieces together even further. And in these moments, right. It was like everything had been ripped away. Nothing else mattered. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's then when I sought some, some serious help for codependency. So I started seeing a therapist who specialized in addiction and codependency. I saw, um, you know, a number of therapists. I went through EMDR. I did a lot of amazing tools, but that's when I really stepped into more of the gateway heart healing and the spiritual healing practices mm-hmm. and more of the energy healing practices, because no amount of EMDR or psychotherapy was, was helping me. It was simply just giving me enough awareness and understanding to rationalize it in a way, but being myself, who is an extremely intellectual individual, I've always been able to use my intellect to bypass my intuition. Right. So as many people do. Right. So that didn't allow me to be healed fully. That didn't allow or give permission, right? And that, that got in the way of giving myself permission to heal what needed to be healed. Mm-hmm. And it was through these practices, whether it's through breath work, which is more of a somatic release therapy, whether it was through, you know, gateway heart healing, which is a more energy and spiritual healing, whether it was through Reiki or polarity or all these other modalities that are out there, you know, that I, that I started feeling the benefit. I didn't see the benefit, but I started feeling it. And it just, became more apparent over time. My lens of awareness started to open in more relationships moving forward and more encounters moving forward and more conversations and connections moving forward. I was able to articulate it in a way that I could understand it and I could see it in the moment to where now, as I speak to you about this before, I would have been very triggered, not in my gut and not in my throat. I want to be able to talk about it, but now Uh the, the sensations, the feelings, the reactions, 
have, have started to subtly go away, right? Over time, of course, with was, consistency was, was and frequency. It, was it like, um, I, I just, I get this sense where it was like your total protection around your heart. And there was like peeling the, like peeling an onion, like peeling these layers of protection away from your heart so that your heart could open and be receptive to the love that was being poured into you. Right. And that's exactly what it was. And, you know, some would say it was layers of an onion, but it was more so like the shell of a grenade. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was that hard. And it seemed like it was just an open pit for a really long time to where I didn't even know what love was. I didn't know how to show love. Love to me was chaos. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't chaotic, it wasn't love. If right. it wasn't chaotic, it wasn't connected. There was no passion. There was no fire. Right. Right. Not realizing that fire goes out really fucking quick uh-huh. <laughs> and it gets doused with, with, with kerosene. Right. Yeah. And, and then with a the fire extinguisher right. and you know, that literally was the extremes of my life, dousing something in kerosene and then shooting it out with a flame, fire extinguisher, douse it again, kerosene, fire extinguisher again. Right. Yep. The highs and the lows just living uh-huh. on it. Right. Uh-huh. Just nothing but adrenaline and endorphin and cortisol. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those were my best friends for a while. That's exhausting, isn't it? Absolutely. absolutely and i wondered why i only slept for three hours for several years jeez louise yeah and then you stack that with some codependency and some other addictions and then drinking and then all these other things and you know there were there were just a lot of masks that i had to wear Uh to to make it appear as though i was okay yeah i've i've said that many times it's like you're you know me (laughs) i'm at home crying on the floor in a ball and then i walk outside because i've got you know a soccer game to go to or whatever how are you doing i'm fine i'm fine it's like why do we have to wear these masks right and that was something that we talked about earlier too you know this this um (laughs) these bypassing practices Mm -hmm. i call them you know, love and light, 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 love and light. Fuck oh, that fine. love and light. <laughs> but really I'm not, right? And you know, love and light is amazing once we can once we can access it, but it's more of the inquiry process of can we really access it without understanding the dark and the shadows and leaning into those shadows, befriending them, dancing with them at will. And without shame, without guilt, without remorse, without mm-hmm. feeling as though we have to, but choosing that we want to. And then broadening again our spectrum of awareness to what's possible, right? Once we know what dark is, then we can know what light is. We have something to compare it and contrast it to and to find where we can calibrate and find the most efficient and effective way to approach a situation in the middle, you know, however that looks. And it's just giving ourselves grace in the process. Yeah. I mean, it would be like, you know, 24 hours of sun. Ah, (laughs) where are my shades? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, because, because that's the thing. I mean, I, one of your posts, you were talking about the pain being so, so deep, so, so deep. And this is why people numb, right? Because it's fucking hard. This shit ain't easy. Right. But we don't people in our lives have not given us permission to feel that pain. It's because it makes them feel uncomfortable because they're not dealing with their own pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So how, so how, how did you give yourself permission to feel all of the stuff that you have been carrying with you? Yeah, I wasn't more so giving myself permission. It was realizing when others were giving me permission, it was when someone else gave me permission and I, and I realized it in that moment that therefore I gave myself permission, which again, you know, being a guide and facilitating spaces, you know, being held in that container, the space or whatever you want to call it, you know, to be, to be openly received and seen for all that you are in your most vulnerable and weakest moments has so much power and it was 
really when I was in uh, MITT Advance with Chris Lee, and I had quite literally broken down into a, a sobbing mess mm-hmm. in front of a room of over a hundred people mm-hmm. and to have people come over and lay their hands on me and hold me and hug me. And also having a very same and similar experience with all men, which is powerful in itself, you know, not saying that all of these experiences to be seen and received for all that we are has to be as cathartic in nature. But that was the the stepping stone for me, you know, and over time it became easier just like, you know, addressing and confronting the more, more painful experiences of my life. As I've given myself more permission and to be more received, it's just become now seamless, you know, and even on clubhouse, you know, that's, that's really why I'm almost obsessed with this, this new app because, you know, it's where I can speak, you know, people can only see so much through my photos and my videos on social media. They can only see so much or, or feel so much through my words, but mm-hmm. to have a real authentic conversation and a connection, one that's bridged this gap right here from me to you is really something special, you know, and it's having conversations like this, that gives us more permission. It's being open to having the conversations. It's being more so not just giving our per- ourselves permission to share our pain, but more so giving ourselves permission to be seen, to actually allow ourselves the permission to open, open the invitation and whatever comes through, just honoring whatever comes out of it, not having an attachment or an expectation to the result, seeing the healing as a result, but seeing the connection and the communication as the gift itself. Yeah. And that's, that's where the beauty is. That's where the magic is. That's where the witnessing can be occurred to where someone can actually put together the pieces of their own life and understand that their narrative is only, you know, dictated and, and dependent on their past, you know, but to bring something in the present moment and to be seen and to be witnessed, to be heard, to be celebrated, to be honored for that by someone else brings the miracle of healing. Mm-hmm. How, how has that been for you in that is it sacred sons? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. That men's circle. How was that for you? Especially because you said, you know, when the woman left, you were unsafe. So how was mm-hmm. it for you in this space of all men? Right. So, you know, that touches upon a whole different wound, right? You know, men to me always growing up were unsafe men to me were always seen as you know dangerous i was always fighting other men men were always the enemy mm-hmm. so in these these spaces these opportunities to heal these masculine wounds within me has been really beautiful you know and and you know there's a couple of things that are cathartic in nature maybe but it's it's evenly balanced with with, with ceremonial approaches to healing with camaraderie, with brotherhood, with connection, with, you know, removing and stripping away any masks or societal norms around, you know, what it means when men hug men or men love men and taking away all that bullshit. Yeah. And then bringing in the cognition, right? How to master our mind, how to get into our bodies, how to appreciate one another, how to see one another and how to just witness and hold another man who's in pain without judgment. And that in itself is, is more healing than I could ever provide to any other person because, you know, personally, right, in order for the world to heal, it has to start with the men right now. Mm-hmm. You know, men that, were the ones to inflict most scary. of the wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, men were the ones to inflict most of the wounds that got us here today. So in order for the world to heal, the men need to heal first. And when that happens, then the women will be safe to open their hearts once more. That's why there are so many women who have their hearts closed. And that's why there are so many women who, you know, have had to step up to become their own men, mm-hmm. right? Because they couldn't depend or, or really Feel lean on that, on that masculine stillness. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and not saying it's just man and woman, you know, cause there are transgender and everything else that we right. want to include as well, but there's, there's a mass amount of healing. But, you know, taking the gender out of the equation, we have to heal the masculine. We have to also re-identify and repurpose the masculine, right? And bring it back into its roots of purpose and freedom. Rather Redef- than redefine it. Redefine it. Right. You know, because even you saying weak and vulnerable, it's not weak and vulnerable. Showing, I mean, yes, when you're in the army and you're at war, you can't be weak and vulnerable, right? You have to show up in that most masculine essence and energy. But when you're in relationship, all that does is prevent 
you know, it just blocks everything. And so, and so for, you know, I mean, this is, this is why I resonated with you because I know you and the people that you are surrounding yourself with, you are shedding light on this. Like this is the message for the world. I mean, women are having to, you know, have had to step into their masculine because they've been so devalued and felt unsafe for lifetimes and generations. So we've had to be our own masculine in order to protect ourselves and keep, a, keep ourselves safe. And men who've been wounded by, you know, disconnecting from their feminine, it's like, you can't be weak. You can't be vulnerable. You have to be a man. You have to be powerful. You have to be power over. And it's like, this is, this doesn't work. I mean, I don't know. Does it work somewhere? <laughs> does it really, does it work? Does it work? It doesn't work. It hasn't worked in my relationships. Doesn't seem like it's worked in your relationships. Definitely not. And so how, how do you, I mean, cause this, this was my struggle with my ex because he was the masculine. And I was like, I know you're dealing with a lot of shit from your childhood and you're just projecting onto me and the kids. Mm. And how do you, you know, I mean, you can, you can help support, but it's up to the individual to do the work. So how do you and your um, tribe of men help normalize all of this for men, you know, so that we are, we are creating you and me. And the people that are doing this work are creating a whole new world Mm -hmm. paradigm. Yeah. And I think that comes back to when we heal ourselves, we heal the world, right? Because as we embark on our healing venture, it's seen people, people recognize it. People can feel it. I can't tell you since I've started my journey, how many people have reached out to me and just been like, yeah, I see you doing all this stuff. And I think it's amazing. It inspires other people right, to want to do that. And that's where, you know, this journey is a, is a journey of self-transformation from within, you know, I can't help this man heal. Right. But I can't heal myself and I can't inspire him to want to heal himself as well. Right. And then I can facilitate and hold the space for him to do that on his own. And I can give him the tools and I can power him. I can educate him. I can inspire him more than anything, right? To want to do it for himself. And that's, that's really where it's at, right? And it's working at an individual level and, and working at an individual level allows the collective to be, to, to see what's possible, right? The potential, right? We see the potentiality of, of what's available. And then it, it really comes down to two things, right? We choose to heal and then we choose to discern, right? We choose to heal what we, what we seek to be healed. And then we have in practice discernment always, you know, and it's being able to, to ask what energy is required in this moment, mm, you know, exactly. and if that were more in relationships, right. Since we're going to be talking about relationships, it's, you know, what energy or what power is required for this conversation, right. If, if she is wanting to be heard, right. Then I need to be a little bit more in my feminine. I need to be a little bit more into my, my devotion, to, to just opening what's, what's available to her and then having fullness and being able to feel her through me and give her and allow her that space. I don't need to fix anything. I don't need to provide the solutions. She just wants right. to be heard. So I need to pull into my feminine a little bit more, you know, and okay, well, something needs to be done. Okay. Now I'm going to, you know, pursue a little bit more masculine. I'm going to express more of my assertiveness and, you know, she's going to suggest certain things and I'm going to assert the suggested piece of information you know, and that's where the dynamic occurs, right? Not only between man and woman, just masculine and feminine in general, it's finding the, the calibrated, right? The yeah. Calibrated middle, right? It's the alignment, right? Where am I most aligned? What's real for me? How am I feeling and what energy and power is required right now for this moment? And it's just hyper awareness, it's just hyper awareness and what's required and having the discernment of knowing, Hey, this didn't work well last time. Maybe I should try it a little bit differently. Right. Maybe instead of 80, 20, I go 70, 30 here, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just small calibrations along the way. Right. Cause there's no 50, 50 that never exists. That true balance, perfect balance doesn't exist. Even in our bodies, right. We are asymmetrical human beings. We will always be somewhat imbalanced and that is okay. 
says the tree says the tree pose every time I try. (laughs) Right. And it's, and it's being adaptable and malleable along the way. You know, when we start to become rigid and we, when we start to develop shields and we start to develop shells, Mm -hmm. what happens is we've, we've become so rigid. We have no, no access to flexibility, right? We have no access to, to, to bend and, and without breaking. We're, we're no longer durable. We're no longer pliable. We're no longer malleable. And it, and it takes malleability to, to form and reform agreements and boundaries along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Those, those openings for us to step into higher standards, each and every opportunity we have. And that, that sense of flow always mm-hmm. between yourself and within your partnership, you know, because because as you are calibrating yourself, you know, as you are balancing and, and uh, trying to align yourself, and then you have this same energetic exchange within your partnership, you know, it's you, it's you, it's a continuous ebb and flow. I, I feel like so many times people get stuck in this sort of duality, black and white thinking. And it's like, we're constantly shifting the energy and shifting the, the power dynamics and shifting the conversations and shifting the, um, the perspective and the, the, the attention. And so when, when you are with a partner, it's that, it's that openness and that curiosity, you know, so it's not just, um, it's not just, you know, he said, she said, (laughs) It's more this ongoing dialogue, curiosity, exploration, where I'm sharing where I am and you're sharing with me. And so it's this constant flow as opposed to these rigid, you know, stances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those extremes, right? Mm-hmm. The the kerosene and the fire extinguisher all over yeah. again. Yeah. You know. And that's, that's the beauty of flow, right? It's, it's the, it's the calibration point between discipline and surrender, Mm -hmm. right? The discipline being the masculine, the surrender being the feminine and finding, you know, the reciprocal and and relative nature of both being able to find how, how the exchange is, is polarizing and, and constant, right? Constant oscillations and constant fluctuations. And you, you've also said that that surrender was the hardest thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was, but that among many other things taught me the way, you know, one being psychedelics, mm-hmm. you don't surrender to DMT or you don't surrender to psilocybin and you're going to, you're going to run for a, uh, a rude awakening. But sometimes that rude awakening is necessary. And then the more it goes on, it becomes a little easier. Because now that you've been exposed to it, you know how to create that outside of the medicine space, which is why I don't necessarily use psychedelics or plant medicine anymore, because I've learned the tools and acquired the lessons. And until it calls to me again, I think I'm going to move through it with what I know. And it works well. <laughs> well, that, that sense of surrender is really this, like being open and vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. That's, it's always a risk. I think that's what people try to say. You know, I, I don't want to take that risk. I'm afraid to take that risk because it is scary. Mm-hmm. But whenever you're in relationship, you know, whether it's an intimate partnership or a friendship or a business relationship, there's always possibilities of getting hurt and being exposed and being vulnerable. But that's also when you get through that there's also the potentiality for the most beautiful connection that you've ever experienced. Yeah. So you so, cut yourself off from the surrender. You also cut yourself off from the, from the beauty and connectedness. Right. And it's a fear of death. It's a fear mm-hmm. of a transition from an identity in which we once associated with to our, mm-hmm. to our higher standards. It's the, it's the, it's the fear of the unknown, which is the only fear that exists. Mm-hmm. feeling out of control <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean note to self you're not in control <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i mean 
it's, it's the only thing we can control. It's the way we can control how we respond, right? right. With the information available. Right. That being the only control or the only measure, you know, controlling the outcome never works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too many times I've learned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so your body control, I mean, is that part of your, I mean, that's part of your discipline. When I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. <laughs> it's, it's really like, it's, it's really art is what it is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the discipline of continuing it. Right. But it's in that moment of being able to flow. Right. And uh-huh. you know, the feminine is always moving, right. The masculine is still, but it's knowing when to be still and when to move and when, you know, to use my tenacity as my tempo, right. Mm-hmm. What, what energy am I going to tap into and how frequently, how consistently am I going to do it? How can I start developing a further understanding of how my mind works through my body? How can I start expressing my emotions through my movement? How can I start again, taking this energy and putting it into emotion? Thus, therefore being the emotion at hand, how can I shift my emotional and energetic states by using my body and developing a practice that I'm disciplined with, but yet still surrender to the outcome, not knowing what is going to be available in that moment, right? That's why I don't write out structured programs much anymore. Mm-hmm. I just move. Well, you see me go to the gym and I'm doing 52, 53, 54 different things running around like a madman. <laughs> I will not sit there and do uh-huh. this many sets and this many reps. No, I'm listening yeah. to my body and I'm exploring and being curious to what can be available and what does my body need? And, oh, how does this feel? Oh, this feels great. Cool. I'm going to keep doing this, right? And it's, that's the practice, right? It's, it's the discipline of going to the gym every day, but it's also the practice of surrendering to the outcome and allowing intuition to guide me, Mm -hmm. right? To where it doesn't have to be this intellectual approach. Sure. It does. If I'm preparing for a sport, but if I'm simply preparing for life and if I'm trying to feel good and move good, then intuition is what's going to guide me. And it's again, coming back to what energy and power is required in this moment and how do I utilize it best? Mm Mm-hmm. Can we teach this to our children? Can we teach this to to ever to everyone? I mean, you know, the whole it's it's basically reintegrating all of these aspects of ourselves that we have disconnected from. You know, so it's coming back into this sense of presence and purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, like like exploring my own limitate quote unquote limitations, you know, like exploring what's possible, exploring where, where I'm feeling called, where I'm being moved towards or away from. It's like really, you know, it's this, it's this alignment with spirit. It's alignment with spirit and, and alignment with who I really am. Hmm. Well, certainly trying trying to teach that you know and that's that's just becoming the embodiment of it right mm-hmm. so again kind of working at the individual level inspires people to do it at a collective level mm-hmm. so uh, i think as we continue to do these practices and and apply these principles to our own lives then you know others will follow it's just a matter of time you know it's their choice when to wake up it's their choice when to make a decision right mm-hmm. we always have a conscious choice mm-hmm. even when we're maybe addicted to the pain or the suffering, you know, being in that moment, maybe not realizing it, but when the pain subsides and we have an opportunity, it's, you know, the availability of the choices that we have and choosing what we want to do with it, what we want to do with the information and how much energy and time is required to get there. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you're amazing, Nathan. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. You're, um, you are a big, big light and weight show, way shower. I really appreciate that about you. Appreciate that very much. Openly and well received. Mm. Surrender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surrender. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you define real love? This is the last question I ask all my guests. How do you define real love? So real love to me is love 
in its entirety and its true essence from who we are at the core, the core not being the abdominals, the core being the heart and it not being attached to any person, place or thing. It's freely given. It's openly received. And it, and it leads and comes from the heart, not the mind. It's what we are all made of real love, real love. What I would more so call divine love. What most others would also call agape, mm-hmm. right? And it's that divine and divinity, I should say, within both you, me, and we, right? It's the energy in which we're all connected through that we all have access to. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> How do people get in touch with you, Nathan? to find out more information about you, to work with you. Yeah. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. This was an amazing conversation and I'm so excited for people to listen and to receive some feedback, especially. Yeah. Um, But yeah, people can find me pretty much on every social platform at Nathan Coleman, uh, Instagram clubhouse clubhouse is probably the one I'm using most now, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter on TikTok, I'm at the movement medium. And if they want to go to my website, which will be redone shortly with a list of all my newer available information, resources, services, all that stuff, it'll be newintention.com. So N E U intention.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where they can find me. Yeah. You're amazing. I want to go to, I want to go, I want to go do that flow thing with you. (laughs) Let's get it. Let's get it. (laughs) Bali, Austin, where else can we do it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be kicking one uh, virtual one up here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to find a space that I can, I can run out because I don't have enough space here. I like a lot of hardwood floor space and and Uh stuff like that. Now that Arizona is pretty much fully open without masks, it'll be a little bit easier to book something now. Uh, are you teaching your daughter how to do it? Yeah, she moves around with me all the time. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so cool. <laughs> She's what better are, at it than I am. Oh, yeah, I would, I would imagine so. <laughs> Her little body, oh, so cute. That's, yeah. What a great, now that's, the, that's actually the kind of PE that we need in the schools. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, put the kids out in grass, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Don't take off their shoes. Yeah. And actually feel their bodies. Mm-hmm. What's your body telling you? Huh? What does that even mean? I <laughs> don't even know what that means, right? Yeah. <laughs> body? What body? <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. So this has been such an incredible conversation um, for all you listeners. I'm sure you will have gained so much wisdom and insight and, you know, perspective about how to help guide yourself, what things, you know, you need to, what directions you need to go, where you need to ebb and flow, where is your masculine and feminine energy in this moment? How can you bring your back? bring yourself back into a sense of alignment. There's so many great things that we talked about, Nathan. I really, really appreciate it. So listeners, um, if you have uh, enjoyed this and you know people that could benefit from this conversation, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with everyone. (laughs) Share with all your friends. Uh, You know, these are the messages that we're trying to get out balancing the masculine and the feminine energies coming to this place of ebb and flow and interdependence, um, you know, and creating beautiful relationships and connections and helping people be seen and heard and understood and just accepted as they are, which we all want, you know, this is our desire to be loved and accepted to feel in communion with others um, and so, Nathan, you've been a beautiful reflection of that today. So thank you so much for being here. And I know my um, sort of the mantra of my podcast 
I say the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Mm. And you are a beautiful example of that. How, you're sh- how you've shown up for yourself and how you're showing up wherever you go. So thank you. Thank you, Don. Appreciate you. Appreciate this opportunity. Send you all the love. Yeah. Thank you so much. So uh, every day, listeners wake up to more and more real love. And if anybody wants to find me, The Awakening with Dawn on Instagram and Facebook. And um, yeah, just I just love these conversations. So thank you again, Nathan. And every day, um, listeners wake up to more and more real love. Take care. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.